Heavenly Father, we come to Thee in this beautiful winter morning that Thou hast provided for us, Thou hast been so gracious to us as we see Thy face in creation and Thy works, Thy handiworks in the sun, in the in the foliage, in the creation that Thou hast performed this 6,000 years ago. Father, we pray that Thy presence would be with us this morning. Thy servant is empty, Father, and we pray that Thou would be our speaker, our teacher, our counselor this morning. For we pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 18. And he spake a parable to them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on earth. And he spake this parable unto them which trusted in themselves, and that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And they brought unto him also infants, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. I have read up to and including verse 17. Lord God, creator of this vast universe, <coughs> and sustainer of our lives, Thou art giving us the very breath that we are breathing, our existence. Lord, to you we come this morning in worship. Lord, we have not the wisdom, the strength, 
Though sometimes we fool ourselves and think that we do. And so we need light from your word. Speak to us through thy servant. Lord, you know the needs of everyone here. And they are varied. And yet, your spirit is crying from the hearts. Your eye rolls to and fro and you know the inner pain, the struggle, the doubts, the confusion, the needs that we have deep in each one of us. So we trust in you to supply what we need, not what we want. Lord, may it be a life-giving, stirring word. Father, our needs extend so far beyond even this hour. We pray for those who are not in this place, for whom our hearts yearn because we know they are struggling with their souls, with their health. Lord, you know those who are struggling with decisions that are so important. Lord, you know those that are in the door of grace and need your help to enter in completely trusting in you surrendering to you and finding a peace that passes all understanding Father we do pray that you would build your house not only by adding to it but by strengthening the bonds that are there, the relationships, Lord, as we would work together, Lord, that we would learn to support and encourage and use and depend on each other. And Father, that the result would be a body that would do your will and bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to remind us all that um, the writer of this uh, gospel, Luke, was a Gentile. He was the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. And he wrote the book of Acts as well. He had a very close relationship, it appears, with with the Apostle Paul. And so he had very intimate knowledge of the workings of Jesus Christ in the, the Apostle Paul's life. And his main theme, if you read through, was his concern for the lost. 
He was concerned for the lost. And he was concerned for those that were rejected by the Jewish community. You can see it over and over again, and especially in this chapter. Not only were Gentiles rejected by the Jewish community, but also their own people. They rejected publicans, tax collectors. You just have to go three chapters before this in the Gospel of Luke, where it talks about the lost things, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost two sons. It is believed that the gospel was given from four different angles or perspectives for a purpose. And one reason is because Jesus came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But he commanded the apostles after his departure not only to preach to the Jews, but also then to go to Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the world. And that's exactly what Luke did with the apostles as he travelled. In this chapter 18, we come across a a very moving account couple of moving accounts. The first one has to do with prayer and it ends on the verse, nevertheless when the Son of Man cometh shall he find faith on the earth. He talked about prayer, he talked about not fainting in prayer, he talked about the widow that was wearying the judge and the conclusion of all of this was nevertheless when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. As if to as if to equate calling upon God, praying to God, as a very essence of our faith. That we have a personal God that we can approach, that is approachable. That we have a personal God that knows us. That we could... Bring to Him all our cares, all our problems, all our guilt, all our sin. Because we have faith and assurance that He will hear us. The Stoics of the time had a very impersonal God. They were a group of uh, Greek philosophers and uh, a sect of people that believed that God was impersonal. He was indifferent. He put the world into motion and he was indifferent to his creation. The other group was the Epicureans who believed that there was no God really. You can do whatever you wanted. You, their, their whole mission in life, their whole goal, their whole purpose was to have the greatest pleasure here on this earth. Because like the Sadducees, Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in a hope after this life. 
when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the, at the well in, in Samaria, at Jacob's well, he told her that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what really should differentiate us from some brotherhood, a sorority or, or, or club where we don't just get together for, for social fulfillment but we come together to worship God in spirit. <coughs> and perhaps the closest you can get to worship God in spirit is communicating direct, uh, directly with Him in prayer. Because what you communicate to Him in prayer really reveals what you believe. It really reveals, do you have trust and faith as you approach God that your prayer will be answered? Uh, Hebrews 11 says, He that comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a, a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. It starts off the chapter by saying that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What we really believe, we will act on. And sometimes I wonder, do we come to church just to fulfill our consciences, saying, well, I... I feel guilty if I don't come, or do we really come with the sense and the expectation that God is going to answer our prayer? Now there's something very special about coming together. Jesus said that if you ask anything in my name, any two of you agree upon anything on this earth in my name, he will, he will receive, you will get it. He said that when you, two or three gather in my name, I will be with them in their midst. Is he not with us all the time? He's with us in a very special way when we gather in His name to collectively worship and adore Him. And now He spoke a parable. It wasn't a real story, but He wanted to give again what it's like in the kingdom of God on how to seek God. And He said, men always ought always to pray and not to faint. Never get weary of it. Never lose hope. Never lose expectation that God will answer. And sometimes you say, well I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and nothing's happened. I used to know it off by heart before, but I forget the verse, I believe it's in Isaiah, that says that God waits that He may bless you. When we pray to Him, He waits that, that He may bless us. But that's not usually the, the practice with, with many of us. We don't want to wait. We don't have the patience to wait. We want action now. And so we take 
things into our own hands. We want to control our lives. Look at Abraham, <coughs> the father of faith. He's the example every time. Look in uh, chapter 19, the very next chapter when, when, when Zacchaeus comes to Jesus. And after everything's said and done and Jesus visits him, he says that, you know, verily I say that today, this day, salvation has come to this house. Why? In so much that he's also a son of Abraham. Weren't they all sons of Abraham? He was speaking spiritually. You're a son of Abraham if you have the faith that Abraham had. That's what he meant. But Abraham also fell. Abraham in his seeking God, in his pilgrim journey on this earth, not having his own, if you will, permanent abode for many, many, many years. Just going around Canaan with his, with his altar and tent. God said, I'm going to bring the Messiah, in different words, through you shall all the multitude of the earth be blessed, but that meant through the Messiah. <coughs> and Abraham couldn't understand it. He was getting old. And so he listened to his wife. And he took his, his bondmaid, Hagar, and had a son with him and created all kinds of problems. Because he couldn't wait. And God said, no, through your loins, through Sarah's womb, will come the Messiah. He said, there was a, in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, avenge me of mine adversary. Something had happened, her adversary, whatever it was, had wronged her. And she was seeking justice. And the judge would not. For a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God. And this is the comparison he's making here. Though this man didn't fear God, nor regarded men, he couldn't care less what men said. Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. He was more concerned about his comfort and convenience. And because of that, he responded to her request to get her out once and for all. Now Jesus is not saying it's good to be like that. That's the motive that you should do what you are doing. But he says, consider this man is unjust. Who doesn't care about man. Who doesn't even believe in God. He said, if this man does something because someone is continually persevering and petitioning something, how much more will God, who in fact loves you and cares for you and knows you inside out, how much more will He Avenge his own elect, which cry unto him day and night, though he be along with them. Now, if you believe that, you will not grow weary in prayer. 
perhaps many of us resort to prayer as a last resort. Because we can trust ourselves. We can trust when we try to get control of our own lives. We, we can scheme, we can plan, we can strategize, and then it all falls apart. And then we sing that song, Where Could I Go But to the Lord? Perhaps one of the verses that we discussed yesterday that triggered me to this chapter was the publican and the, and the Pharisee, but also the scripture that says, It's not to him that willeth, nor to him that runneth, but to God that gives the mercy. It's not to you who wants to grab hold of your own life, to control your life, to prove to God that you are worthy of His acceptance, or other people's acceptance. It's not to you to justify yourself, because all of that is vain. And the illustration I gave without even thinking that it would point to Luke 15 was, let's say you had twin brothers. They're twins, so they come from the same household, they've been raised by the same parents, they've been given, if you will, the same handicap in life. And one brother lives a moral life. He's always obedient to his parents. He's always doing the thing. But he doesn't give his life to God. But he's controlled his life. And you'll find many like that. The other brother, on the other hand, goes out and he does whatever he wants with his life. Lives carefree. And we have them in our households. may sin to the greatest extent, may be like the prodigal son who ended up in a pigsty after spending his, harlot, his living with harlots and riotous living. But then he comes back and he comes to God, recognizing his error, recognizing his lostness, recognizing his depravity, and he repents. Not even trying to justify himself. Not even saying, you know... Well, I had hard circumstances. Some may say, my, my, my father was a drunk. Or my mother was an alcoholic. Or, or I grew up without a father or without a mother. And therefore, I, I have every reason to be angry at the world. And God. And justify their behavior. The prodigal son didn't justify himself. He said, I know what I'll do. I will arise. I will go to my father. And I'll say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against heaven and against you. Take me back as one of your servants. And 
And God says, it's not to him that will it, or to him that won it, or to him that wants to justify himself, or to him that claims that Abraham is his father, or to him that says that he's been a good boy all his life. I choose. The elect, I choose who I will save and how I will save them. It's on my terms and not yours. Now that's faith. When someone can come back because he believes that God will be merciful. He believes that his father loves him enough that he'll take him back even as a slave. But no, his father didn't take him back as a slave. He took him back as a royal prince. Clothed him with a... shoes on his feet. Gave him a ring of authority. Killed the fatted calf. You see, the coming back of the son was not something that made the son deserve deserving of his father's goodness. The coming back of the Son was a condition of His Father outpouring His riches upon Him. The coming back of you to Christ and accepting His blood and His grace is not something that you have, that deserves your salvation. It's a condition of your salvation. The grounds of your salvation has already been laid. It's the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the ground of your salvation. But it's your hand reaching out to Him. It's called faith. It's you turning to God. That's faith. And God will give grace which implies faith to those that humble themselves. Like this publican. He dared not even look up to heaven. Smote his breast as a gesture of his remorse. And said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. No more needs to be said. If you firmly believe that in your heart. What did the Pharisee say? Oh God, I thank you. I'm not as other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this, you know God, you know He's a traitor to Israel. You know how He hates your people. What was Jesus' response? I tell you that this man, the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other. Now, in this case, he was seen just in the eyes of God. Not because of what he did. 
There's nothing for him to be proud of in his sinful life. But because he's reaching out to God and saying, there is nothing in me that is worthy of your goodness. Isaiah 65 or 6 says that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And no matter how much we try to justify ourselves, if we come to God in, in, that, in that frame of mind that we're very defensive, that I have a reason to pout, I have a reason to doubt, I have a reason to have delayed coming, I have a reason, don't come in that manner. God will not hear that reason. It's an excuse. I'm not saying stop communicating with God, but that won't work in God's sight, that you have some excuse why you couldn't come. Many people, if they even believe in God, would say, well, I didn't ask God to put me on this planet. And they'll blame God for that. They'll blame God for that. Why did God, ma why did God make me? Why did God create me? I remember when my sister Denise was still alive, she tried to witness to a girl that she met in the mall in the neighborhood. And the girl turned to witchcraft or Satanism because the girl said, why did God take my mother away? And there was anger. She was full of anger and shaking her fist at God because her mother was taken. If in fact she believed in this almighty supreme being, my question would be, why would I be questioning this almighty supreme being? There is an answer. And instead of going to the first turn and, 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 and accusing God, why not go to God and say, God, explain to me. Show me. I know you're a mighty supreme being with all knowledge and wisdom. But why does man choose the other route? There's a very, I believe, there's a very simple answer. We may not understand it. The very simple answer is it's because we haven't humbled ourselves. That's why Jesus ends at least where we have ended today where he says if you do not become as a little child you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verily, I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, shall in no wise enter therein.
We can't say we believe in Christ and not believe his words. We can't say we believe in God, but uh, he, he made a mistake somewhere down the road. If we believe in God for who he says he is, and then we say, no, God made a mistake, or God doesn't love me, or God didn't love my mother or my parents or, or, or my siblings, aren't we contradicting ourselves? The Bible says, He that comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. And that may not happen on your first prayer. That's why Jesus says that we are always to pray and not to faint. And what is it that we are trying to do? Are we trying to change God's mind through prayer? Is that the reason? Maybe some people think that that's the reason. We're trying to change God's mind. You know, we were made in the image of God and some people want to make God into the image of man. Do we think in any way or shape or form that God's mind will be changed concerning His desires for your life? Maybe I was wrong. You think God is saying that? Maybe I'm wrong about you. Maybe I'll change my standard for you. Or do you think that maybe God is... Not that he's, up, he's not answering your prayer, but that your expectation of the answer is not there for any one inkling in, in time. You think that it's maybe there because God wants me to change? Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about the ground? The ground of the heart? Do you think there's not power in the seed of God? Do you think God is not... Uh, sowing the seed so that you can receive the seed, that that seed will be embedded in your heart, that it will grow. But remember what the purpose of that parable was? The purpose of the parable was to show that, that that seed can only take hold and grow if your your heart is prepared to receive it. And so the time of waiting, the time that you don't hear God, The time that you're going through great trials and tribulation is the time that God wants to break up that heart. That God wants to break up that fallow ground. And that God wants to change your heart so that you can receive it and so that word, that that seed, the word of God can bring forth fruit. 160 and 35. In the book of Philippians, chapter 4, a well-known passage. Paul writes and says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then comes a promise. Then comes a promise. This is a promise. 
And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God which we cannot fathom or understand will keep your hearts, will protect you, will give you assurance. It's a promise. It doesn't mean that you're going to go through every trial with a smiling face. It doesn't mean you're going to go through every trial just saying, oh, I'm so happy this is coming upon me. But if you realise, and this is something that I realised several years ago, if you realise that that is the place God wants you to be, Because God is interested in your spirit and not your flesh as much. He wants to preserve your body, your soul, your spirit to the day of Christ, the Bible says. But He's more concerned about the fulfillment of your spirit than what your flesh is going through. We're all familiar with Job. And how he cried out to God. And he said, The worms consume my body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. And that's why James says, Rejoice. In your tribulation. Count it all joy. When you fall into tribulation. Because you know that's where God wants you to be. If I know that that's where God wants me to be. What other place. Would I rather be. If that's where God wants me to be. Remember Jonah. God wanted Jonah to be in. And Nineveh. And Jonah fled. And he had every excuse under the sun. He wanted to take his own life. And I know God. I'm second guessing God. I know what you want. But these people. He had a different mind of, of. What should happen to these people. These sinners. They're not going to listen to me anyway. What's the point of going? In the end, God says to Jonah, there are, I think, 120,000 in this city that don't know the difference between their left and right hands. You sorrow for the gourd that shriveled. You don't have any compassion on on the city of Nineveh. God wanted Jonah to be there and he had to find the hard way. Why? I pray that none of us will grow weary in praying 
in seeking God when answers don't come. But in it, we question ourselves, why? And God says, wait so that I can bless you. To him be the glory. Amen.